hello and welcome to our podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Please head to our website for more information on what is happening at Ashburton New Life or to get in touch. One of our team would love to talk to you. Here's today's message. All right, I've decided to look at this story today because the children of Zelophehad were women who were strategic, they, had in- they were intentional, and they were really full of initiative. They made a difference in their lives by getting the laws of property inheritance changed in Israel. And they were Mala, Noah, Hogler, Milka, and Terza. And so the title of my message today is Creating a New Legacy. In the Bible, only 137 out of about 1,700 distinct names that are mentioned belong to women. So the fact that these women were even named means that they have some significance attached to them. In Scripture, they are always mentioned as a group, and they represent the largest cluster of feminine names anywhere in the Bible. And these women went before no one had ever been before. They had a pioneering spirit as they challenged the unfair existing inheritance law in Israel. And they based their arguments on the fact that their father's legacy and family name would be forgotten and that they would be left dependent on husbands they may have at that time. So just to set the background to give us the setting where the story takes place. It happens when Moses was preparing the Israelites to enter the promised land after 40 years of meandering around the desert. They'd been on a really long, long road trip. It was a bit like going nowhere slowly, taking up time until the 40 years had actually run its course. And then in Numbers 26, we read that God commanded Moses to do a second census of the Israelite people. And the reason for this census was that this, so that they would know how many men they had for the battles that lie ahead in Canaan. They only counted men of fighting age, those over 20, and that came to 601,000. Of course, they didn't count women and children. They were going to leave the desert and try to enter Canaan again. If you remember, previously it was just the 12 spies who had entered Canaan for 40 days. And once the the census was complete, God spoke to Moses about how the land was was to be allotted amongst the 12 tribes. So let's take a look at this from Numbers 26, 52 to 55. The Lord said to Moses, The land is to be allotted to them as an inheritance based on the number of names. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance. And to a smaller group, a smaller one. Each is to receive its inheritance according to the number of those listed. Be sure that the land is distributed by lot. What each group inherits will be according to the names for its ancestral tribe. So the amount of land each tribe would receive would depend on their population size and they would cast lots. That was basically to ensure that there was fairness in the land distribution. And it's really at this point that Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza, they come into the story. 
The family was from the clan of Manasseh. And just to place them for you, Manasseh was Joseph's eldest son, not this Joseph, but the Joseph of the multicolored coat fame. Numbers 26.33 says, Salophihad, son of Hepha, had no sons. He had only daughters whose names were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. And verse 3 of chapter 27 informs us that their father had died in the wilderness. Now, based on what Moses had already said about the land distribution in the previous chapter of Numbers, the five sisters recognize they've got a problem. And the protocol at that time was the women were probably expected to remain silent and really just accept what was going to happen. They would be excluded from the process of land inheritance. So as a result of their father being dead and them having no brothers, they were going to become landless in the promised land. So an existing problem is just about to get a bit bigger. There would be no one to continue the family name of Zelophehad, and the family line was likely to disappear. If they were not married, they could end up being destitute or considered burdens on the tribe, so their situation was looking pretty grim. For the five sisters, this was untenable. Now really, it's at this point that the five sisters could have done one of five things that we may be tempted to do when our own situations seem unfair and desperate. So the first thing, they could have decided to fight. They could have acted with anger, rebellion, left the tribe, or maybe just internalized the injustice that had taken place and become bitter and angry. Secondly, they could have taken fright. Maybe just staged a protest on the street corner. Okay, no street corners in those days. Maybe just put up some placards and shouted that life was unfair. Or they could have taken the position of freeze. They could have just thrown up their hands in horror and cried, woe is me, there's nothing I can do. Or they could have responded by being a bit frantic. They just could have gone, run out and married the first person they saw. Or, fifthly, they really could have been functional. That means they could have been strategic and formulated a proper plan. This is what they did. And their story continues in Numbers 27, verses 1 to 11. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hepha, the son of Gilead, the son of Makur, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. They came forward and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of, me of meeting and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord and the Lord said to him, what Salophahad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. Say to the Israelites, if a man dies and leaves no son, 
give his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan, that he may possess it. This is to have the force of the law for the Israelites, as the Lord commanded Moses. So let's just look at that text in a little bit of detail. We read in verses 1 and 2, The daughters of Selophehad, they came forward and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Try and imagine the scene that is taking place. The Israelites were camped near Mount Nebo. Can you change the slide, please? You can see Jerusalem and Jericho in the distance. The camp layout of the tribes of Israel was set up according to groups of tribes placed together on each of the camp's four sides. And each tribe had a Pacific banner. And from this first slide, we can see that the camps of Abraham, Manasseh, and Benjamin were located on the western side of the tabernacle and they were under the banner of Ephraim. The tribe of Levi, we know, were chosen by God to serve as priests, and they were placed together around the tabernacle. Aaron and his sons and Eleazar, they were located in the east of the front, and Joshua was there too. So it was at the center of the camp that we find all the authority figures, all of whom were men of great stature and standing in the community. Now, I think anyone just approaching this group would probably feel a bit intimidated. Those five sisters probably were so nervous and even unsure if they would even get a chance to speak. What if they were ordered away or punished for just daring to approach the men? Moreover, this was near the place where the ten tablets from Mount Sinai was located in the Ark of the Covenant. And getting too close to that was also a bit dangerous. So despite being afraid of the consequences and the circumstances, they really just acted in the face of potential embarrassment or even worse. So their commitment to seeking a just legacy for their family means that they overcame fear and they moved forward to the place of holiness and really, absolute authority where women just did not have any inch of authority or even any right to be there. So standing together in faith, they came forward boldly. The miracle is that they do get to speak, and they are listened to. So from, from verse 3, they explain. Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Now Korah had been a rebel in the desert who had challenged Moses' authority. And you can read about that in Numbers 16. Korah and his followers had actually accused Moses and Aaron of exalting themselves among the Lord's congregation. So Moses proposed the test. If they, would write, if they were right, they would all die a natural death. But if they were wrong, the earth would open up and would swallow them. Well, all 250 of the rebels were swallowed up and later further 14,700 of the supporters died from the plague. 
So the woman had much to fear, but they were not really challenging Moses' authority. So they left their place of safety, they left their tent without being called by anyone and approached the place where only the high-ranking men were seated. Now we can only wonder what the men were probably thinking when they set their eyes on the approaching woman. And the, re- the word that comes to me is thunderstruck. <laughs> I think they probably just couldn't believe what was taking place. Some of the men may even have been a bit outraged. How dare they approach the men like this? And then verse 3 continues. It says, the women speak first with purposeful humility. They remind the leaders that their father was not one of Korah's men. He died naturally in the wilderness. He died for his own sin, as did all the other Israelites as well, who feared the giants in the promised land. But it was a natural death, not a punishment. So they're basically trying to build a case of character integrity. So their strategic plan was firstly to exonerate their father and then to plead on his behalf. And they posed the leaders a really interesting question. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no sons? So they're really presenting the problem at hand and it's a simple equation. No sons equals no inheritance equals no promised land to the descendants equals no legacy. So what does the asking of this question reveal about these five daughters? Firstly, they really know the law and the history of Israel and they've thought through how that's really going to work out for them and it's not looking pretty good. Secondly, They used the fact that their father was not involved in Korah's rebellion to build a case of character integrity. Thirdly, they know that the continuity of their family name will depend on them obtaining an inheritance in the land of Canaan. And fourthly, they possess wisdom to recognize this omission from the law and the unfair nature of their present circumstances. They have a ready-made solution, and they're really not afraid to offer it. Give us property among our father's relatives. So they go straight to the point with their request. They see no valid reason why they should be prevented from inheriting land to continue their family line within the tribe. Well, they probably could have expected to have their request denied and maybe themselves even thrown out. But courage is to do something you believe is right, even when you're afraid. And that's an important learning for us here. Obviously, other families without male heirs would have existed at the time, but no allowance had been made for daughters to receive any inheritance. And the result of this encounter is that we we see Moses behaving as we would hope a truly godly leader would. He gave it some thought. But he also realized that his existing knowledge of Jewish law was not enough to assess the validity of this claim. So he exercises great wisdom and humility. Verse 5 says, So Moses brought the case before the Lord. 
And then he pays attention to what God says. And the Lord said to him, What Salafihad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. That's really powerful language and really leaves one with no doubt that God has heard their desire to receive their father's inheritance. And Moses is left with no option but to really enact this radical law immediately. God even promulgates a new and permanent law to secure inheritance for any daughters under such circumstances in the future. So the claims of these five daughters leads to the laws of inheritance being changed forever in Israel. And this is really a wow moment, and it comes in the book of Numbers, probably the least read book in the whole, of, in the whole Bible. It's just full of lineage and stats and people's names. And in verse 8 to 11, God provides the detail of the future law of inheritance for the land of Israel. And this will be son, daughter, brother, paternal uncle, and nearest clankin. God was also ordaining that property was to remain within the tribe. So there are six learnings for us on legacy from this story. Number one. Throughout the Bible, really, God shows a special concern for widows, orphans, women, and oppressed people. And his legacy is one of compassion towards those who have less or been treated unfairly. Second learning is that God gave Moses the word that Zelophehad's daughters should rightly inherit too. And this resulted in the new legacy for both men and women. If we don't like the legacy we have inherited, it's really up to us to ask God to help us change it. Thirdly, the five daughters really understood their people's history and God's laws and provision. We too need to know our own whakapapa, our own history and where we come from in order to understand the legacy we have inherited and the legacy we want to leave behind. Fourthly, <clears throat> they had faith in God's promises of a land to come. They had really never seen the land they were asking for, yet they believed it was good. And they wanted their inheritance there. Some questions for us. Do we have a vision for legacy? If we don't, we need to ask God for a vision. What legacy does he want us to leave behind? Fifthly, the laws of the Torah were not really all-inclusive. And we see God's representatives seeking guidance to bring about a change in God's laws, ready to include those situations not previously covered, so as to create a more equitable legacy. And sixthly, Salafahed and his wife must have really schooled their daughters proficiently in the Jewish history, law, and justice which really led to the five daughters doing something which changed their lives forever. That's the legacy of good parenting. We all need to acknowledge the roles played by our parents in our upbringing and the roles we can play in passing on a greater legacy to our children. 
and grandchildren for the generations to come. So this is a story involving five daughters whose names most of us have probably never heard before. By their courage and faith, they were able to establish a new legacy for so many people that came after them. And I know it's Old Testament, the whole story, but how does the story reach us today? I think it represents a message of hope for anyone who is facing obstacles in their lives and is wanting to make a permanent change and leave a better legacy. So we can learn from the approach adopted by the five daughters. That means we can do some self-reflection and then really identify some things in our lives that are holding us back or may result in, in us leaving a poor legacy. On behavior, the legacy I leave will really include the way I behave. My children will learn to behave as I do. They do what we do, not what we say they must do. And we as parents really need to understand this principle. So we may need to change a behavior pattern or have to go and do something that we've really never done before. We need to ask ourselves, how do we react when really things go wrong in our lives? And there's five possible ways that we can react. And you will recognize them from the responses earlier. So the first thing we could do is, do I freeze with fear and thus do nothing? And the counter to that is from Isaiah 41.10, which promises us, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The second option is, do I get angry, overreact, and fight? James 1.19-20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen and slow to speak, I think is a big learning for all of us. Or thirdly, do I flee, just run away and hide and act like nothing is wrong? But Jesus, he really offers us another way. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you a rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Remember Gideon, who was described as a man of valor by the angel. Well, he was busy hiding in the wine press at the time. So God can remove our fear and really raise us up to do the hard things. Fourthly, or do I make frantic, irrational decisions which I live to regret? Psalm 32.8 promises that if we seek God first, he will respond. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Or the fifth possible response, if I really slow down, just take time out, contemplate, and then be functional by making a carefully considered plan, just like the five sisters did. And James 1.5-6 encourages us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. One thing to note is that when we try and make positive changes in our lives, we always find opposition in the form of temptation from the enemy. So we won't change our situation or really improve our legacy if we are not intentional and we really have to put new boundaries in place within our lives. There may be times we may have to end a relationship or a friendship that is not good for us. And that can be hard and painful. Sometimes we have friends in our lives who are not a positive influence on us. Sometimes we just have to let them go. Give us space between each other. We also might need to do something that we don't even think is possible. But to do anything new, we always need to pray and to seek God's will and purpose in our lives. So, moving to a conclusion. Can we have the music team up? As followers of Jesus, we don't have access to Moses and his telephone line to Yahweh anymore. Instead, God has really given us the Holy Spirit without measure on all who believe and turn to Jesus. And in John 14, 15 to 17, we read of God's promises to, us, to, to come. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be with you. In Scripture, the Holy Spirit is described as our counselor, our helper, our comforter, our guide, and our intercessor. We really all need God's Holy Spirit to help guide us to do the hard things in life so that we can leave a far-reaching legacy to those who come after us. Anne Morrow last week spoke about how she prays for her grandchildren's unborn children already. So should we, and I was challenged by that. Next, don't try and do life alone. Those sisters supported one another. They were a team. So moving out of stuck and uncomfortable situations is really going to take wisdom, strategic planning, and maybe practical help from friends. By practical help, if you have a friend who is struggling, offer to clean their house, cook some meals, but just do something practical for them. Home groups are one of the ways that we can find support in the church. Or phone someone wise that you trust and who won't share your conversations and leave them off Facebook and social media. Go and pray with a friend. Sometimes we may even need a counsellor, but just get support. And finally, the actions of these five daughters just remind us that sometimes it's the simple act of just raising our voice for what we believe is right or asking for help in a difficult situation. And that does indeed make a difference to our lives. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the story of these five sisters, for just for showing us a way of how to be intentional and strategic about a legacy that could be thrust upon us. Yes, Lord, their actions of speaking out at the right time did make a difference to them and the generations that follow. Lord, we just ask you for immense courage we decide, when we decide to seek a new way forward, when we want to impact our legacy. And as we do so, Lord, we just ask that you will clothe us in humility, love, and good grace just to be able to walk in the renewed purpose that you have for our lives. Lord, we just ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, David. Beautiful message. Creating a new legacy. You know, I've read the Bible so many times, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't encountered Zelophehad um, clan, okay? 50 years from now, there will be, you know, when we read the Bible, we skip the genealogy because it's so hard to pronounce. 50 years from now, 100 years from now, there will be a clan in New Zealand. This is the son of Joseph Ong, who has a son set, uh, named Seth Ong. And they go from there. You know, the, the legacy that we do right now is the legacy that we're creating. You know, our family, it was, this is long time ago. I created a new legacy in my family because my, my grandparents are, in, are both in broken family. My two grandfathers are adulterous uh, husbands and I said Lord long time ago Lord I don't want that inheritance I don't want that legacy I want to create a legacy of children the children of my children will be serving the Lord we will have Seth which will be a pastor we will have Isaiah which will be the future prophet and I, I will have Luke Lord our youngest which we will be an apostle, right? I don't force them to be like that, but it's just the things that I prayed whenever they sleep, I pray over them. And that's the thing about the parents, you need to pray for your children. Pray that they will have vision. Just like the Selofiad sisters, they were functional. They were strategic and intentional about their plans. Uh, my, philosophy, my philosophy teacher in, in the uni, he said, The man with a plan is the man with power. Alright, so tell the person beside you, The man with a plan is the man with power. Alright, and, and, and ask them again, What's your plan? What's your vision? Because whatever is your plan, that's the legacy that we are creating for our family.